great. Ephesians 6.13, have you found that this morning? How about Proverbs 22? Well, if you would, if you'd stand, if you're able to, for the reading of God's Word, we'll look at those two passages, those two verses this morning. And then most of our message, we will be in the book of Proverbs, looking at several verses there. This will be more of a topical sermon than an expository sermon. Instead of spending our time mostly in one passage, we'll be looking at a concept all throughout the book of Proverbs and somewhat throughout other places of the Bible. We're going to continue our series, Stand with Conviction, this morning. Let's read out loud together verse 13, and then we'll flip over to Proverbs 22 and read verse 3 together. All right, ready? Together, verse 13 out loud. Here we go. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Notice there it says, to withstand in the evil day. In the evil day. There's going to be an evil day that comes into our lives, collectively and individually, and we're told to stand. How do we do that? Turn over to Proverbs 22 and look with me at verse number 3. Let's read that verse together. Ready? Here we go. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. When the evil day comes, it is the prudent man that's able to anticipate it and avoid it, able to withstand it, the prudent man. What does that mean to be prudent? Our, our, our theme this year is stand for Jesus. We all see the importance of taking a stand for our Lord as he took a stand for us. And we have four sermon series we're laying out on Sunday morning. The first one is stand with conviction, knowing what we're standing for and why we're standing for it. And the sermon this morning is about our prudence, standing with prudence. And so let's look at that sermon title today, Our Prudence, as we consider that word and this truth today. Let's pray. Lord, help us to have ears that understand, hearts that discern, and lives that go forth and live what we see in your word this morning. Lord, uh, James warned the church of Jerusalem about the falsity of being hearers but not doers, and deceiving our own selves. Help us, Lord, not to fall into that trap. Help us, Lord, not to fall into the trap of believing that just because we've come to church that somehow that makes us good people. Lord, help us to take the truths we hear today and leave changed and leave determined to improve ourselves so we can better take a stand for you, for our Christ, in a culture that is against our Christ. Be with us today. Help us in each way. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let me ask you a question this morning. What do you think of when you hear the word prudent? Hear the word prudent. That's not a word that's used in everyday vocabulary. Uh, You don't look at someone and say, well, that person is a prudent person. Not a word we hear very common. I've been thinking about that word prudent all week long. And when I've had time to just sit and think, I've thought, what does that word prudent mean? Before I pulled out my Bible and a dictionary and a thesaurus and really got to work looking at the word prudent, I was a bit puzzled as to what that word meant. And uh, I thought of some words that are around the word prudent. The first word I thought of was the word prudential. Prudential. How many of you here know the company Prudential? You've seen their commercials on TV. Prudential sells what? Speak to me. They sell, sell insurance. You know what they're doing? They're taking the idea of being prudent and they're turning it into a money-making scheme. What are they saying? They're saying that if you are prudent, you will buy our insurance. You'll buy all of our insurance products. The word prudential is prudent with I-A-L added to the end. Prudent, prudential. I thought of the word jurisprudence. Every so many years, we end up getting a new Supreme Court justice nominated. How many of you followed the um, uh, approval process of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court here recently. And you kept hearing the word jurisprudence, jurisprudence, jurisprudence thrown around. That idea of being careful to execute the law exactly the way it's written and not to read into or to change, but jurisprudence, to be prudent with the law, to be careful with the law. And then I thought of a word that maybe is a little bit more humorous in nature, when I thought of the word prudent, I thought of the word prude. Prude. How many of you here have ever been called or called someone a prude? 
we, uh, we had a, a young man in our Bible college, and I thought of him as a prude. I'll just use his first name. His name was Dennis. And uh, understand that where I went to Bible college, the, law, the rules uh, back then were stricter than they are now about dress. And uh, men had to wear a dress shirt and a dress tie and dress slacks and dress shoes everywhere they went. I mean to class, to lunch, to dinner, to breakfast. Uh, uh, if you wanted to go to Walmart, you had to go in a dress shirt and tie and dress pants and dress shoes. If you wanted to go down the road and go to the bowling alley, you had to wear a dress shirt and a dress tie and dress pants. Unless you were going to work, I'm serious, unless you were going to work and you had a permit on you that gave you permission to be out of dress clothes, you had to wear them all the time. And so I lived with a tie around my neck uh, for four and a half years. Nowhere you were in the dorms, you didn't have to wear a tie, but outside of the dorms, you had to have a tie on everywhere you went. And um, a couple of times a year, they would relax the rules. One such event was the intramural basketball championship game, where they let you wear a collared shirt and blue jeans and gym shoes. And so, um, uh, boy, us, us college guys, we were really excited to not have to wear our tie that day. And so, you know, the girls were able to dress down, the guys were able to dress down a little bit. And there I am sitting next to Angela, uh, we're dating at the time, and we're enjoying this college game. Several thousand college kids there, uh, gym's full, we're watching these two teams play. And I look up in the nosebleed section and there is Dennis. And Dennis was being a prude. Now, I told my wife I was going to use this illustration today, and she was quick to remind me that Dennis is now a multimillionaire, and he's attending church faithfully, and so I guess Dennis won, all right? Um, but at that moment, at that moment, I look up there, and he's way, way, way away from everyone else. He's wearing a shirt and tie and a suit jacket and a vest. He's got his Bible out. The game's going on down there, everyone's cheering, and he's got his nose buried in the Bible. And I look up there in the rafters and I thought, Dennis, I don't know if I said this, but I thought something along this lines, Dennis, you are such a prude. You are such a prude. A prude is someone who is excessive in their modesty or their properness in areas of dress, speech, or conduct. You know, a group of teen boys or teen girls who want to get someone to come off their spiritual perch, trying to get them to loosen up a little bit, maybe do something that's wrong, they might use peer pressure and look at them and say, oh, stop being a prude. You don't need to call your mom before we go here. Uh, look, you can roll your skirt up a little bit above your knee, or you, know, you, you can wear that outfit that maybe your parents wouldn't approve of, or listen, you can kiss that guy or kiss that girl, and uh, no one needs to know, stop being a prude. And they'll use that word to try to get someone to come around to doing something they shouldn't. But what does it mean to be prudent, to be prudent. It's, again, it's not a common word. I don't know that I've ever heard an entire sermon preached on this idea of prudence. Now, maybe I have. I've heard a lot of sermons. Maybe I just don't remember, but I've not heard many. What does that word mean? Let me give you a definition. The word, it won't be on the screen, but let me encourage you to write this simple definition down. Prudence is wisdom put into action. Prudence is wisdom put into action. Wisdom put into action. In the book of Proverbs, we find King Solomon laying out for us five different characters, five different people. And um, uh, I want to illustrate for you who those five people were and, uh, and how that worked out. So I need five men to come up on the platform and help me. Five men. If you don't come up, I'm just going to start calling names and make you get up here. So the younger you are as an adult, the more likely it is you should be up here. And so hustle up here. I need five guys to come on up here and help me. Come on up, Brother Stephen, Brother John. Uh, who else? Uh, Brother, Brother Vara, Brother Tom, Brother John. Okay, five of you come up here. Brother Stephen, you can stand by the piano. Let's see, Brother John, I'll put you over here by the wall. Uh, actually, uh, let me have you stand here in the middle, Brother John. Brother Tom, you stand over there. Brother Vara here. Brother John over here. Actually, you stand here in the middle, Brother John. You come over here in the middle of the two of them, and you come over there in the middle of the two of them. Okay. And so these five men, get as close to that wall as you can. These five men represent the five different characters, if you will, 
in the book of Proverbs. Okay, let's start over here. Um, and listen, I may not have the right people in the right place, okay? So don't judge too hard, all right? This, uh, man, I definitely don't have him in the right place, okay? This uh, Stephen here represents the wise man, the wise man. Now, not the wise guy. You know the difference between a wise guy and a wise man? Wise guy is a smart aleck, know-it-all. A wise man actually knows it all, okay? Uh, so he represents the wise man or the land of wisdom. He's the first character in the book of Proverbs. As you read through the book, you'll hear much talk about the wise, the wise, the wise. All right, on this end, now this is definitely a representation, okay? We have the fool. All right, you two want to switch? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you have the fool. And this is, the Bible talks a lot about the fool, the fool, the fool. This uh, Tom here represents for us those who live in foolishness. All right, in the middle here, we have Brother John. And Brother John represents for us the simple. The simple, okay? Is that a fair... It's not a fair characterization, okay? Uh, none of you up here would fit this role, but that's okay. Someone has to be here. The simple. And the simple are youth. They're children and sometimes even adults. The simple is a blank sheet of paper uh, that everyone wants to try to write on. And the simple is born with a sin nature. So if you would turn for me and face this way. He has a bend toward foolishness. Everyone is born with a sin nature and a bend toward Foolishness. Okay, now that leaves us with two more characters. We'll start over here. And Brother Vara <laughs> represents the scorner. <laughs> the scorner is the king of the fools. And his duty is to grab the simple man and recruit him into being a fool and long term into being a scorner. The scorner's job is to turn the simple man into the fool. The scorner's job is to have influence over the simple man and lead him into foolishness. Now watch this. The prudent man, he has the same job as the scorner, except he's trying to take him to the land of wisdom. So the prudent man wants to grab hold of the heartstrings of the simple one and lead him into wisdom. These two guys right here are at war with each other. These two guys right here want the same thing but the opposite direction. The scorner will manipulate leadership to have a place of leadership so he can lead as many people astray into foolishness as possible. Now the prudent man, he is wise... And he uses his wisdom in action to lead the simple ones this way. The very first duty he has is to convince him not to look that way, but to look this way. The very first thing he has to do is disqualify and discredit this guy. Now, the scorner is constantly trying to discredit the prudent man. And the prudent man is constantly trying to discredit the scorner. And there, there's a battle going on here. The scorner can be represented by the cartoons that come on TV with children. A lot of stuff on TV you parents need to watch, know what your kids are watching. Listen, uh, Disney Junior, my kids used to watch Disney Junior. We were careful about that. Once they grew out of Disney Junior and just the regular Disney Channel, we shut that garbage off. A lot of what's on the Disney Channel, your kids don't need to be watching. Now, that might sound extreme to some of you here, but what are they trying to do? They're trying to turn your kids into Miley Cyrus. Look what happened to Miley Cyrus. Go back through the decades and look at all the pop music little teeny bop stars and see how all of them ended up strung out on drugs and their lives a wreck. That's what the Disney Channel is trying to do to your children. The scorner could be represented by uh, some kid at school, some kid in the neighborhood. It could be represented even by some adults. By the way, you parents, you parents, listen closely. You parents need not to be scornful. I see parents who think it's funny when their children dress like a skank. I see parents who think it's funny when their kids use a curse word. I see parents who think it's funny when their 10 and 11-year-old uh, child is caught kissing another kid in school. That's not funny. You don't be a scorner. We need parents who are prudent. 
and understand the battle they're in over the simple one's heart, this blank piece of paper, and you need to get that heart, and you need to write as much as you can on it before the scorner gets a chance to do so. You lead. You lead this uh, person to the land of wisdom. And so prudence, watch this. This is the purpose of the sermon. Prudence is wisdom put into action that brings about positive results. It's not just being wise. You see, there's a lot of people that live here in the land of wisdom, but they're not leading the simple along. Wisdom is not enough. A lot of people have a lot of wisdom in their head and their heart. They walk with God. They know a lot. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But they're not putting it into action. And so prudence right here is wisdom put into action. It leads the simple one along. Thank you, gentlemen. You can go sit down. Thank you for your help. Give them a round of applause. We definitely picked the best-looking five in the crowd. Amen? Look back with me, if you would, at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Ephesians 6, verse 13. The prudent is in a constant battle against the scorner. And if you're going to win the battle, then you're going to have to stand for what you believe, and you're going to have to withstand withstand the evil onslaught that awaits you. Look at verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. How does a Christian become prudent? Well, I want to take what we've covered so far on Sunday mornings and I want to show you that this is the next step in the process. Three weeks ago, we looked at the topic of standing on our principles. Remember that sermon? We highlighted the price that was paid, the value of your salvation, the value of your Bible, and the value of the church, and the high price that was paid for you to have those three things. And You need to value those things. They need to be important to you. You need to read your Bible every day, and you need to walk with God daily, and you need to be in church, and uh, you need to value the Bible. You need to value your salvation. What, is, what are principles? They are knowing what you believe and why you believe it. Let me ask you a question this morning. If someone came who is an antagonist to your belief and really pressed you on your faith, would you know how to stand? Would they be able to move you off of what you believe? Those are your principles. How about this one? Last week we looked at our passion. Our passion. You remember I had the circle. Brother Joe created for us the circle that grew around an ideology in the center. And we said that, uh, that, that, that the Apostle Paul, he was all about salvation. His life revolved around salvation. That was his passion. And we talked about Judas. His life revolved around the love of money. It was his passion. We looked at Abraham, his, uh, or rather Moses. His passion was service to God. And then we looked back at Lot and we saw his passion was fleshly appetites. His life choices revolved around that. Passion, passion is the emotional energy you expend on on what you care about deeply. So watch this now. Principle is knowledge. Passion is zeal. You with me this morning? You have to pay attention on purpose, all right? I'm going to get, get into it where I keep your attention on my own. But for a few minutes, I need you to on purpose give me your attention. Principle is knowledge. Passion is zeal. What happens when you have knowledge without zeal? Zeal is energy, it's excitement, it's enthusiasm. What happens when you have knowledge without zeal? Can I tell you what knowledge without zeal is? It is a waste. It's a waste. I, l- listen, I, I feel as though as a pastor I know the Bible pretty well. Uh, I spent, I've spent my whole life learning it, reading it, studying it, memorizing. I've got a good chunk of the Bible memorized. And, and I'm not saying that to brag, but I am saying it to sort of set a baseline here. There are a lot of people walking planet Earth that know the Bible a whole lot better than I do. I don't question that. I run into them from time to time, and I meet them. And, and uh, people that know the Bible uh, better than I do, man, they can tell you what the middle verse of the Bible is. And they can, they can tell you things about the Bible that just make your head spin. They really, 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 really know the Bible. But can I tell you something? Having knowledge without zeal is a waste. You may know the Bible inside and out, but if you're not willing to open your mouth and share it with other people... Who cares? 
The Bible says we're to rightly divide the word of truth. We're to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're to know the Bible. But if you know the Bible really well, but you have no zeal or energy or enthusiasm to go tell people, you know what I call people like this? And this is a base term, so forgive me for this, but I call people that know the Bible really well and don't do anything with it, I call them fat-bottom theologians. Fat-bottom theologians. Why? Because they sit around and study the Bible, and they're fat in knowledge, but they don't do anything with it. They're like the Dead Sea. They take in, but they never give out. Knowledge without zeal is a waste. But let's flip that around. Zeal without knowledge is dangerous. Zeal without knowledge is dangerous. Now listen here. Well-intended people can harm a cause by being overzealous and can do harm by misrepresenting something that is true. These people generally mean well but have a shallow knowledge. Let me give you an example we all can relate with. You all know about the riots that have taken place in our cities over the summer, the, the buildings that have been graffitied and burned, and then the capital riot that took place just earlier this month. And you have two different political ideologies that went to extremes. You know what both of those represent? And often, in many cases, in many cases, those represent zeal without knowledge. That's dangerous. It's dangerous. And Christian, it's not healthy for you to be zealous without knowledge. I went to Bible college with a guy named Chris. Chris was a red-headed Irishman. Uh, actually, a red-headed New Zealandman. And uh, Chris would brag that he had been kicked out of every city in New Zealand for his stand for the gospel. But I knew Chris, and I knew that Chris was the brash type who loved to say things to offend people. And I looked at Chris, and, I, and Chris needed to be spoken to in plain terms. And I looked at Chris, I said, you weren't kicked out for the gospel. You were kicked out because you're a jerk. And he said, I'm a jerk for Jesus. And I said, Jesus has not called you to be a jerk. Zeal without knowledge. Zeal without knowledge. What happens when you put together knowledge and zeal? Can I tell you what happens? You get prudence. Prudence is when you know what's right, and you're enthusiastic about what's right. That is a prudent, prudent person. Now, Satan wants to knock you off your game, hence the evil day. How many of you here knows what it means to go through an evil day in your life? Where it's just dark. You just want to crawl in bed and pull the covers up over your head and pretend that nothing exists. You know what that's like? You know what it's like to feel like you've got a rain cloud hovering over you everywhere you go? You smile on the outside, but there's no smiling going on on the inside. How many can relate with me today? That evil day. You know, Satan will do everything he can to keep you from being a good Christian. You ever been tempted to quit on Christianity and walk away? Can we just all be transparent this morning? How many of you ever felt that way? I have. You just wanted to walk away from, not being saved, but just walk away from, you know, being faithful to church and, 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 and being, being, being who God wants you to be. That devoted Christian, that reading your Bible and praying on a daily basis. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? How many on some level can relate? You've been tempted to just say, enough. It's too hard. That evil day. How do you as a prudent man or woman or Christian withstand that evil day? You know, Satan is going to do everything he can to throw you off your game. He's going to hurl everything, including the kitchen sink, at you to try to get you to quit. If, if Satan can't um, uh, trip you up with failure, then he'll try to get you with success. Watch this now. If he can't uh, discourage you with poverty, then he'll distract you with wealth. If he can't discourage you with loneliness, then he'll try distracting you with fame. If he can't uh, trip you up with worldliness, then he'll try to trip you up with a pharisaical, better-than-thou type attitude. When your evil day comes, it will require more than your principles, and it will require more than just passion. It will require you to be a zealous, knowledgeable, prudent Christian. And so I ask you this question this morning, are you a prudent Christian? 
Now, I've preached on topics that are far more exciting and bombastic and enjoyable that uh, get more of an emotional raise out of people, but I don't know that I've ever preached on a sermon that's more relevant and needed than this one right here. Are you a prudent Christian? Are you both knowledgeable and zealous for the Lord? You know, if I were to um, give a man a gun who had never, ever held a gun, and I were to send him out to war, the truth is he may love that gun. And he may be passionate about his cause or his country. But if he doesn't know how to use that weapon, he's a dead man. He's a dead man. You all understand this morning what I'm saying? Prudence is knowing how to take your spiritual weapon and use it. You know, you could say that prudence is wisdom mixed with zeal mixed with experience. Experience. The longer you live the Christian life, the easier it is to be prudent. Again, prudence is wisdom or our principles put into action, our zeal. I propose that every Christian will face their evil day, and when they do, only those who are skilled in spiritual warfare or trying to be skilled in spiritual warfare will be able to withstand sin's onslaught. For many of you, this may be the very first sermon you've heard on the topic of prudence. I want, would ask you to open up your heart and mind to this idea because prudence is a big part of the day-to-day living of the Christian life. Let's, this morning, look at three components of a prudent Christian as we consider this topic, standing with conviction, our prudence. On the back of your outline this morning, there is a fill in the uh, back of your bulletin, rather, there's a fill in the blank outline, and I would encourage you to take a pen and take notes as we go. All right, let's jump in here. Notice, number one, prudent in our searching. Prudent in our searching. Turning your Bibles over to Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number five. Everyone is searching for something. Everyone is searching for something. Some here are searching for love, and they're looking in the wrong places. Some are searching for knowledge, and they're looking in the wrong places. Some are searching for wisdom or joy or happiness. Are you prudent in what you are searching for? Some are searching for um, a, a life, a quality life, and they think that Money is the answer. Money is not the answer to a quality life. Walking with God in rich relationships and godly relationships are the answer to a quality life. Look at Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 5. The Bible says, A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. I want you, if you underline in your Bible, to underline those words, regardeth reproof. Regardeth reproof. What does it mean to regard now, um, in today's time, when a, a boy and girl like each other, man and woman like each other, and they're flirting with each other, they text with emojis. You know, that's how it's done today. Back, you know, when I was a youngster, we wrote love letters. How many of you were old enough to remember having written a love letter or two in your day and time, all right? Kids are, what's a love letter? <laughs> it's, you know, the, eye, the, the, the heart eye emojis, but like in paragraph form, Okay. Uh, that's a love letter, right? And um, in the end of a lot of old, old love letters, they would put regards, and then they would sign their name. Well, what does that word regard mean? It means to cherish, to value, to hold dear, to love. Look back at that verse, verse 5. Look at the second half of the verse. But he that cherisheth, loveth, valueth, reproof, is prudent. What does it mean? What does that word reproof mean? You know what it means? It means to be corrected. To be corrected. Do you like it when someone corrects you? How many of you like being called into the office by your boss and corrected? If you're prudent, you wouldn't mind. How many wives like it when your husband calls you on the carpet and corrects you on something? How many husbands like it when your wife does that to you? We don't like to be corrected. But the Bible says a prudent man is searching for the truth, and he'll take correction from anyone he can get it from. Why? Why? Because a prudent man is more concerned about doing right than he is about 
being right. You, know what you understand what I mean by that? When, when someone corrects us, our defense mechanisms come out. Well, how dare you attack me? And then what's the next thing we do? We shift the blame. And then what's the next thing we do? We point out errors in the person correcting us. Well, you do it too. Well, how mature of you to point that out? What are we, three years old? Well, it wasn't my fault. Da, 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 da. You know, if we're really concerned about doing right, then we will take correction from anywhere we can get. Why? Because we're searching for truth. We're searching for truth. What did Jesus say in John? I believe it's chapter 8, verse 32. He said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. How many of you here want to be made free? Then you ought to accept truth no matter who it comes from. Look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 15. Turn to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 15. It says, the heart of the prudent getteth knowledge. Underline those two words, getteth knowledge. And the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. Getteth knowledge, seeketh knowledge. It is a pursuit. It is a search to find truth in every crook and cranny of life, to drain it out of every person we can in life, to get it in every way we can, because we don't want to be a know-it-all. Rather, we want to know as much as we can, so we can be as wise as we can, so we can be as prudent as we can, so we can make an impact on the simple ones the very best we can. Winston Churchill once famously said, Every man knows something that I do not know. I must probe until I find it, hence all men are my teachers. Take your Bibles over to Hosea chapter 14 and verse 9. You know, I'm a, a father of two children, an uh, 11-year-old and a 10-year-old. And you know, it's easy for me to think they don't know nothing and that I know everything. They don't know nothing, right? That's the Southern coming out of me. They don't know anything and I know everything. And um, I love to go in my children's room while they're practicing piano because I don't know how to play the piano. The only instrument I, I know how to play is the radio, Amen. Um, they know how to play the piano, and I love to go in there and sit down and watch them uh, play the piano. And you know what I like to try to do? I like to try to learn from my children. You know, um, I go on a car ride with my kids. I take them to school every day. It's about a 30-minute ride where they go to school. And um, they do what most kids do. They wait to the last minute to study for tests, the ride to school. All right, They study other than that, but they're getting one last study in on the way to school. And they're going through the same school curriculum I went through growing up. And a lot of the quizzes and tests they take are the same ones I took growing up. And so uh, they're asking each other questions back and forth as they study. And I like to try to see what I can remember. And I have forgotten more than they've learned in life. Uh, but you know what? There's a lot I can learn from my children. My children. Uh, I had a little child come to me in the church sometime back, four or five years old. And uh, they gave me a little Lego man. I keep him in one of my suit jacket pockets. And he said, uh, Pastor, this, uh, I made this because he reminds me of you. And I looked down at the little Lego man, and he had a head full of hair. <laughs> and I said, thank you. I started to cry. I said, that means the world to me. I said, one day in heaven, I'll have a head full of hair. But I sat down with that child here on the front row, and he opened up, and he, he said, uh, I came up with a sermon illustration, Pastor. A little seven, eight-year-old boy, I believe, if I remember the age right. And he shared with me that sermon illustration, and I used that sermon illustration a couple of weeks later in church. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength. Listen, if you have a know-it-all attitude, then everything everyone tells you, you presume that you already know. But if you're on a pursuit, a search for truth, to be made a better person, then every man is your teacher. Listen, the truth is, if a wise man has a fool correct him, and there's some portion of truth to what that fool says, the wise man will listen even to the fool. Look at Hosea chapter 14, verse 9. We see the two different things that the wise man or the prudent man is trying to learn. Look at verse 9, Hosea 14, verse 9. Who is wise? And he shall understand these things. Prudent. And he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. And the just shall walk in them. Look here. But the transgressors shall fall 
therein. The transgressors uh, do not stand in the evil day because he or they do not consider truth. They did not search for it. They were not hungry for it. These guys over here, uh, the, the scorner and the fool, they care nothing about pursuing truth. They enjoy their folly. The prudent man and the wise man, they're hungry for truth. They're searching for truth. They want to know what's right. Not what makes them feel good, but what takes them to truth. They're concerned about truth. They're hungry for it. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you're hungry for truth, you're going to find it. If you're hungry for sin and iniquity, you're going to find it. The iniquitous and the transgressor is going to fall hard on his face, on her face. The prudent man and the wise man stand on the bedrock of truth, because that's what they're searching for. Are you prudent this morning? Are you searching for truth? Prudent in our searching, number one. Number two, notice, prudent in our seeing, in our seeing, what we see. Go back to Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number three, where we began this morning. Proverbs 22 and verse number three. The Bible says there, I'll begin reading, a prudent man foreseeth, foreseeth the evil. He anticipates the evil and hideth himself. But the simple pass on, blindly pass on, and are punished. Turn over to Proverbs 14, verse number 15. 14, 15. If you're new to White Oak Baptist Church this morning, we're glad you're here. One thing you'll learn quickly is that we use the Bible a whole lot around here. We love, love, love the Bible. We believe it is relevant to man's life, and we hold it up, we hold it high, and we use it often. The Bible is the authority around White Oak Baptist Church. If you love the Bible, you'll love it here at White Oak Baptist Church. Proverbs fourteen fifteen says, The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. The simple believeth every word. You know what that means? The simple are gullible. I love when my kids come home from school and they'll sit there and they'll say to me, they'll say something that is totally erroneous, totally wrong, in a very declarative manner. Dad, did you know? Boom. And what comes out of their mouth is totally false. And every time they do it, I get a big smile on my face and I look at them and I ask them the same question. Who told you that? And you know what generally the answer is? Someone, one of their classmates, another fifth or sixth grader told them. And you know what? If you tell a simple one something in a way that's demonstrative and strong and emphatic, they're likely to believe it. They're likely to believe it. How many parents know what I'm talking about today? You know what, though? Truth foresees evil. Look back at verse 15. It says... The prudent man looketh well to his going. That means he looks below the surface. That means he listens with a cautious ear. He's concerned to see the truth. A Christian who is prudent has his eyeballs wide open. Yes, his physical eyes, but more importantly, his spiritual eyes. He anticipates evil. He anticipates sinful situation. To the youth in the room this morning, to the youth that may be watching online today. Uh, some of you turned out, uh, tuned, tuned me out. I ask that you tune me back in. I would just encourage you today to listen to the wise leaders, the spiritual leaders that God has placed in your life. And if God has given you godly parents, listen to your parents. Listen to your parents. You know, um, I learned a long time ago that when children are four, five, and six years old, they ask why because they think mom and dad know everything. Dad, why this? Mom, why that? Dad, and you get sick of their asking. When uh, teenagers get to be 14, 15, 16, they ask why because they think they know everything. Well, why? Well, well, well why can't I go there? Well, why can't I do that? Well, well, why? They think they know everything. How many of you were old enough uh, in life to realize that when you were an 18-year-old child, you really didn't know a whole lot? How many of you have arrived at that place in your life? Okay, Keep them up. All you 18 and below, will you look at the hands that are raised? Look around. That's going to be you one day. You're going to have your hand up one day too. You know, when I was 18, I thought I had the world by the tail and I knew everything. How many of you were with me like that? Yeah, you think you know everything, don't you? You think you got it all figured out. 
I'm 37 years old, and every day I wake up, I realize how much dumber I was than I realized the day before. You know, it's great. It'd be great if um, you had the wisdom you have now when you made crucial decisions when you were younger. Wouldn't have you liked to known when you were 18 what you know now about a career choice? About where to go to college? Wouldn't have you liked to known then what you know now about who you chose to marry? Don't say amen to that, amen? It gets you in trouble. Say, when I was 18, I was young and dumb. My wife says, when I was 18, I was young and dumb and I married you. What do you do when you don't have the wisdom to see? How can you see when you can't see? It is a happy day for all of us in here when we have enough self-awareness to realize that our own life experiences and wisdom are not going to carry us through life. We need help. And I don't care if you're one of these two sweet ladies sitting down here in your 80s or 90s or if you're 18 or 19. None of us know enough. None of us know enough to get by. Pastor, how am I supposed to see an evil day coming in my life? How am I supposed to handle that? Let me give you two words to write down on your outline. These won't be on the screen, but just these two words. First, write down the word prayer. Prayer. Take your Bibles over to James chapter 1 and verse number 5. James chapter 1 and verse number 5. You know, the truth is, no matter how old you are or how long you've been saved or how many spiritual battles you fought and won, uh, prayer you learn to be is an indispensable item. Boy, there's, there's just so much wisdom that God has that we can't have unless we go to him on a daily basis and ask him for it. But it's, what's awesome about God is that not only does he have wisdom, he so quickly and willingly dispenses it to us. Look at verse 5 of James 1. The Bible says, If any of you lack wisdom, how many of you at times in your life feel as though you lack wisdom? Boy, we're blessed, aren't we? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. Did you know God was a liberal? He is. He gives love liberally. He gives wisdom liberally. He gives joy liberally. He gives us blessings liberally. But do you know that God is a conservative when it comes to wisdom until we ask Him to be a liberal? He conserves His wisdom in heaven. And He will not give it to you until you go to heaven and say, Lord, I need you to give me your wisdom in a liberal portion. Turn over to James chapter 3 and verse 13. Now James 1 acts as sort of a table of, of content or an index for the rest of the book. You get a quick synopsis throughout James 1 of what the book contains. And James 1.5 is continued in James 3.13. The Bible says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good lifestyle, a good conversation, his works... Now, this next phrase is very dense, very heavy. And I would encourage you Bible students to go study this, this phrase. Uh, it says here, show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Wow, meekness of wisdom. We don't have time to dive into that right now. I encourage you to do that on your own. Look at 14. But if ye have bitter envyings and strife in your hearts, if you're acting out of bitter envyings and strife in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom, this envying and bitterness, uh, it, it, it descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. This wisdom is earthly, sensual, devilish. Look at 16. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Godly wisdom brings about peace, not strife. Earthly wisdom brings about strife, not peace. 
Where there is godly wisdom, there is peace. Where there is earthly wisdom, there is strife. You say, Pastor, how do I have wisdom put into action? Well, sometimes you just don't know what to do. You get on your knees and you pray. Let me give you another word to write down. And the word is counsel. Counsel. Prayer and counsel. Turn back to Proverbs with me, if you would. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse number 15. While you're turning there, let me read for you a passage out of Romans 5. You turn to Proverbs 11:14. The Bible says in Romans 5, uh, 3 through 5, it says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto Him. Here we see a stair step in the Christian life. The entry level of that staircase is tribulation. Nobody likes tribulation, but what you learn about tribulation is that it brings uh, about um, uh, it brings about patience. Tribulation brings patience. If you ever pray for patience, expect God to bring a hard time in your life. That's guaranteed to come. Lord, give me patience. If you ask for that, God's going to give you a hardship. I heard about a man who came down after the end of his service to pray with the pastor, and he said, Pastor, I need more patience. Pray God gives me patience. That man and that pastor got out on the front row and the pastor began his prayer. He said, Lord, I pray this week you'd help this man's washing machine to break and you'd help his car to, to break down and you'd help him to lose his job. And the man said, whoa, 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 why are you praying this? Knock it off. And he said, well, if you want patience, you're going to need some tribulation in your life. And so you're praying for patience, you're pay, pray, praying for problems. So tribulation brings patience and patience, watch this, brings experience. Who should I go to when I need help with a problem, first and foremost, I should go to God. But God has also given me earthly counselors. I've been pastor of this church now for four and a half years. And I love, love, love White Oak Baptist Church. I have enjoyed about 99% of my time as your pastor. I can't say 100, but 99% of it I have enjoyed my time as pastor of this church. When I have to deal with Ben Salinas, I don't enjoy it. But all the rest of the time, no, I'm just teasing. I love you, Ben. It's been great. Um, I love being pastor of White Oak Baptist Church. I've been pastor for four and a half years. But you know, sometimes as the pastor, I come into a problem or a situation where I'm beyond my skis. I don't know what to do. And I get on my knees and I pray and I ask God to help me. And then after I do that, I pick up the phone and I have pastor friends that have been doing this a whole lot longer than me. And I ask them for their counsel. You know, I've been married for 14 years, and I love my wife, I adore my wife, I cherish my wife, but there are times in our marriage where we need help, where we're maybe having a struggle and we need growth, and what's wise for me is to pick up the phone and talk to someone who's had a longer quality marriage than I have. Notice that word quality. I've been a parent now for 11 years, there are times I need help in my parenting, and I pick up the phone, and I call someone that has children that are grown and living for the Lord, and I ask them for help through a particular stage. I get counsel. Why? Because there are times as a prudent man, I can't see where I need to go. And when I can't foresee uh, so I can withstand in that evil day, I call out to the Lord in prayer and I garner help for others. Look at Proverbs chapter number 11 and look at verse 14. The Bible says, Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. And let me just say here, be careful how you get counsel. I've seen people who aren't looking for counsel, they're looking for approval. So what they do is they have their mind made up with what they already want, and so they go over here and they talk to Vince, and Vince doesn't give them what they want to hear, so they go to Jake and they present the problem to Jake, and Jake doesn't give them what they want to hear, and they go to Lou, and they don't hear it from Lou either, and they go to Ben, and lo and behold, Ben, the rebel of the church, tells them exactly what they want to hear. Amen. And now... Because Ben has agreed with them, they've gotten the counsel they were looking for. You know what? You're not looking for counsel. You're looking for approval. You ought to seek out people who push back on your decision making. You ought to consider what they have to say. That's counsel. Some of you in here are heading down a path of destruction. Counselors are trying to encourage you a different direction. You are ignoring their heating. You're not going to be able to withstand in the evil day. You're going to fall flat on your face. Prudent in our searching. Prudent in our seeing. Number three, notice prudent in our speaking. I'll be quick here. Prudent 
and our speaking. Are we okay this morning? Everybody okay? Turn to Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 23. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 23. The Bible says, A prudent man concealeth knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaimeth foolishness. Look at that word concealeth. A prudent man concealeth knowledge. What does that word conceal mean? Now, I started to look that word up. And I stopped right in the middle of what I was doing. And I thought, I know what concealeth means. My wife wears makeup. How many of you women know what concealer is? Yep, yep, yep. Why would a woman ever put on concealer? What are you trying to hide, women? I told you, men, these women, they're, they're sneaky. They're trying to hide things on us. They buy that concealer at the store, and they're wiping it all over their face. And I tell my wife all the time, I say, you don't need makeup. You're beautiful just the way you are. And she says, get out of here. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> Conceal it. A prudent man concealeth knowledge. You know what that means? That means that a prudent man isn't looking to run around and show off how smart he is. He knows how to be modest with what he knows. Are you modest with your speaking? The old adage is that God gave you two ears and one mouth because he wants you to listen twice as much as you Speak. Now, in the north, we have a phrase up here we use. I'm not a Yankee. But you Yankees, amen? How many figured out I'm not a Yankee? All right. Um, you Yankees have a phrase that, I, that I've heard you use when you're describing someone who talks a lot. All right, kind of like Missy Lizette down here. She talks a lot. What is it? Is that your nickname, Motormouth? <laughs> I love you, Lizette. I'm just having a little fun at your expense. Motormouth. How many ever heard the phrase Motormouth? Yeah? Ah, you were listening at 8.30. She was tuning in at 8.30, all right? That's all she knew. In the South, we have a different phrase for someone who talks a lot. We call them the mouth of the South. The mouth of the South, all right? And uh, you meet a woman who talks a mile a minute. Why does it have to be a woman? That was a sexist thing to say. You meet a man who talks a mile a minute, and he is the man of the, the mouth of the South. The mouth of the South. And uh, some people, man, they just talk to hear themselves talk. And um, you could lock. Have you ever been on the phone with someone, and uh, they're talking, and you just set your phone down, and you go about doing your thing, and you come back? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You do your thing. You know, some people, that's how they are, right? They talk and they talk and they talk and they talk and they talk. And um, well, listen, there, there, there's a lot more room for you to sin if you're talking a lot. It'd be wise sometimes just to be quiet. The Lord's been working on me about not always having to be right there at the edge of someone else's conversation. Someone else stops speaking. You know, it's like you're talking to someone and it's like, they're like, you, 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 me, me, look at me, my turn, my turn to talk. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, they're not really listening to what you're saying. They're just waiting for you to stop talking so they can start talking about them again. That's not prudent. The Bible says a, a prudent man concealeth knowledge. Turn to Proverbs chapter 29, verse 20. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 20. The Bible says there, Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words, there is more hope of a fool than of him. Boy, whatever there is beyond the land of foolishness, the man who can't shut his mouth, he, he has a problem. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just be quiet. Now, Someone really wants to know the wisdom that God has given you, and they come to you and they try to draw it out of you, you should share. Be selfish not to. What's the old adage? Ad, uh, let's see. Advice that is not sought is seldom heeded and often despised. Someone's not asking you for your opinion. You probably should keep it to yourself. There have been many times in the church I've seen someone who looks like their life's going off track. And I want to pick up the phone and ball them out in a kind, loving way. But just tell them, you're about to make a mess of your life. But they didn't ask me for my opinion. And if I were to tell them, they probably wouldn't listen to me anyway. 
Turn over to Amos chapter 5 and verse 13. We're almost done. Amos chapter 5 verse 13. Prudent in our speaking. Just because you know something doesn't necessarily mean you have to share. We should be silent with what we know at times. How about this? We should be silent when God is punishing our enemies. Amos 5.13 says, Therefore the prudent shall keep silence in that time. It is an evil time. Now really quick here, Amos lived on the border of Israel and Judah. He lived on the Judah side of the border. But the king of Israel, his name was Jeroboam II, and uh, he had gone and conquered a bunch of kingdoms and made Israel really, really rich. And there was a lot of wealth and prosperity. And what had happened was the ruling class had enslaved the working class and put them in the debtor's prison and would not give them a fair day in court. And so the big men were trampling on the little men, and the big guy was trampling on the little guy, and Amos said, hey, this is wrong, what's going on. And so he left Judah, and he traveled to Israel, and he began to preach against people who were being who were treating the poor unfairly. And God tells the poor here, he says, if you're prudent, when God lowers the boom, and God punishes those who are wronging you, you will be silent in that day. Back in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17, the Bible says, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth. Let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. How many of you ever hear, here ever had someone treat you wrong? And, you know, the, the Buddhist world would call it karma. The um, Christian world would say it's you reap what you sow. Someone treats you wrong, and then, you know, it kind of comes back around and whacks them in the back of the head. You ever seen that happen to someone? Someone does you wrong, and they get punished for it down the road? You know, it's wrong for you to rejoice over that. It's wrong. You say, well, that person wronged me. They had it coming. What if God were to punish me and you over everything we do wrong? If you want grace for you, you better be thankful that God shows grace to others. We're to be prudent. So, rather, we see that a prudent Christian does more listening than speaking. A prudent Christian is silent in that moment of God's judgment on the wicked. But lastly here, a prudent Christian is also careful in how he addresses God in prayer. If you were in Proverbs, go one book to the right. This is the last verse we'll look at. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 2. Here Solomon is at the end of his life. He's made a lot of really bad decisions. He's come full circle and realized that he's to love God. Really, the book of Ecclesiastes is a book about regret. Regret over his party lifestyle. He's looking back over the long life of hardship. And he says this in verse 2. He says, Be not rash, Ecclesiastes 5.2, Be not rash with thy mouth. Let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything or just anything before God. Then he reminds us of our position. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. Solomon is not saying here that we should pray short prayers. What Solomon is saying is that when we're disgruntled and angry, we go to God in a bad mood. We should remember who God is and who we are. And we should be respectful with our tone. You ever gone to God and just yelled at Him? Be careful. Be careful. It's fine to lay out your complaint before the Lord, but you be respectful. A prudent man is respectful when he enters God's presence. He's careful with his tongue. Prudent in our speaking. What is prudent? It's wisdom on display, wisdom put into action. It's the combination of biblical principles mixed with a sincere passion. I'd ask you one more time this morning, are you a prudent Christian? Are you searching? Are you hungry for knowledge and godly wisdom? Are you seeing? Do you lean on God and other Christians to help you see with spiritual eyes? How's your speech? Are you measured and respectful with your tongue. My prayer is that God fills White Oak Baptist Church with prudent Christians 
that know how to stand in the evil day. Let's stand together, if we would, with our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you would stand right where you are. I would just ask you this morning, Christian, are you searching for the right things? Are you seeing with spiritual eyes through godly wisdom? Are you speaking with a tongue that pleases the Lord? How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, the Lord has put His finger on something in my life, something in my life that needs to change. He has showed me some area in my life where I lack prudence. Pastor, would you pray for me? If that's you, would you hold up your hand? Something in my life needs to change. There's an area where I can be more prudent. Amen. I hope that you'll let God work in your life and that you'll make some real changes today. Lord, I pray this morning you would take the message and help us to take it to heart. Help us to stand with prudence. Help us, Lord, to be skilled with godly wisdom from above so we can withstand in the evil day. In Jesus' name we pray.